Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to today's episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow for SB Live Sports. Today's guest, one of the youngest head coaches in all of college basketball, he may have held it until this past off season. The head coach of Nichols State, Austin Clanch. Austin, thanks for joining. I appreciate it, Dan. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining. We talked really briefly off camera before we recorded about your program, your school, your location. Uh, tell us a little bit about Thibodeau, Louisiana and how excited your community is for an upcoming basketball season because you got that program on the rise. Yeah, so, you know, Thibodeau is a small college town, uh, about 45 minutes west of New Orleans. Um, I've been here. I'm heading into year four uh, as the head coach, year six overall. I came down as an assistant, um, and we were able to have some success and and win a championship. And and when Coach Riley ended up leaving, um, I was fortunate enough to be promoted, um, you know, to the head coach. And and yeah, you know, like you said, we, we've had some success. We're coming off the regular season championship. Um, we fell one game short of the NCAA tournament, losing in the conference championship um, in, in our conference tournament last year. Um, but we really like the group we have. Um, you know, we, we have a good core coming back. We hit the transfer portal pretty hard, which has kind of been uh, uh, sort of a staple of, of a lot of our success and what we've done, you know, building this thing over the last few years. And so, um, and yeah, we've, we've got, we've got a lot of early season tests, which we usually do with our scheduling. And, um, so it's a good opportunity for, for our team to, um, you know, work on, work on our chemistry and that camaraderie. Cause I feel like we've got some talent, but we've got a long way to go in, in that regard, just like everybody else does at, at this time of the year. So that's definitely an exciting time to, to be in Thibodeau. And, uh, I, I think the fans are, are excited as well. When I look at, your schedule um, and the Southland Conference in particular, a couple names jump out at me with, with the league. Stephen F. Austin had a, a, a couple great year stretch under Brad Underwood a few years back before he moved on uh, to power conference schools. But you guys have a preseason tournament. Is that something new? Because uh, I don't remember ever seeing a conference doing that before the season really got going. Yeah, it's, it's brand new this year, um, and it has to do with basically um, we actually lost some schools this year leaving uh, the conference. So now uh, for this season, we're only going with eight in, in the Southland Conference in terms of eight teams in our league, um, which if you play everyone twice, that's that's only 14 games. Um, so what they've done is they added um, a preseason tournament, which I believe is going to be on the SBN family of networks potentially, um, and, and really um, – you know, it helps in terms of scheduling, you know, now that's a 17. If you just count those 14 conference games, that's 17 games where you'd have to schedule uh, this way. You know, it's kind of one of those tournament formats where all the teams are lined up in the middle. You win, you go one way, you lose, you go the other and allows everyone to just get three games on their schedule, um, you know, against teams from similar levels. And um, obviously it's, 
it technically is interconference play, but that tournament doesn't go toward your conference record. So it is interesting. It's something different. Um, but I do, uh, you know, ultimately think it's, uh, I think it's cool. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I think they're talking about whoever wins this year um, in the future could, um, could host uh, the tournament the following year, which I think is a cool idea. Kind of gives you some incentive to, to go win it this year. And it gives you a chance to see everybody up close, um, you know, kind of before you head into to the real conference play. So, yeah, it's definitely different. Uh, I'm excited to see how it plays out in, in year one and, and see if we can, you know, maybe make adjustments to it moving forward and, and make it better. Yeah, I really liked it when I saw that on your schedule. And I was interesting to hear you kind of describe how it came about. Um, it reminds me a lot of European basketball leagues where you'd have a preseason tournament and then your cup games in the middle yeah. before you get into the end of your regular season, your playoffs. Uh, but that'll be, that'll be interesting to follow and watch. As I mentioned, you're one of the youngest head coaches at 31. What allowed you to fast track your opportunities um, to become a head coach at a young age. Obviously, you've got to be talented. You got to know the game, evaluate, recruit. But but what really did you focus in on as a young coach to improve upon to be ready for your chance? You know, I think I, I've known Dan. I wanted to coach for a long time, and, and probably by my you know sophomore junior year of college, I knew I wanted. You know, I played at a small school. Um, I wasn't as I wasn't as good a player as you and some of these other guys. So I. I knew early on that, um, you know, I love basketball and, and I love being around it. And I especially love the idea of coaching. And so as soon as I graduated from college, I sort of started making decisions and trying to open avenues that were ultimately going to propel me, um, you know, to hopefully one day being a head coach. I mean, I, I never necessarily had a goal of being, you know, like you said, one of the youngest head coaches in the country is um, I wanted to ultimately be a head coach one day and, and, um, I was really lucky. I mean, early on, I, as soon as I got out of college, I worked at George Mason for Paul Hewitt, um, you know, for, for a year, you know, to talking about a guy that's played for a national championship. Um, from there, I got on at Clemson as, as a graduate assistant and, and video coordinator. And I was there for three years under coach Brownell, you know, just one of the best defensive minds I've, I've ever been around. Um, and from there, you know, just, uh, I built, I, I built so many great relationships at Clemson, just, genuine relationships with players, coaches. And I think, you know, Richie Riley, who was an assistant at Clemson at the time, um, ended up getting the Nichols job. Interestingly enough, when he got the Nichols job, he was the youngest head coach in the country at, uh, at 32, 33, I think. Um, and I think he just kind of saw, you know, um, how much I love just being around the game, just rebounding for guys, you know, if somebody wanted to work out or just, just whatever it is. Um, I really, really value relationships. I love just being in the gym with people and, and, um, you know, learning about people from different areas, backgrounds and all that. And I think coach Riley saw that. Um, and, and, um, you know, just, just thought, I thought I'd be a good assistant. I, I just, you know, I, I think I always try to tell people my best advice is in coaching, man, just be authentic and be yourself and, and just put your head down and, and work hard. And I, I've been blessed, you know, really to be around some, some great basketball minds, you know, of course, coach Riley now is at South Alabama, um, doing great things. And so, you know, when I got the job, um, uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, I wasn't going to say, I, I, I wasn't going to tell the, the people that, that were going to hire me that, that I wasn't ready. You know, I, I just, um, I was excited and I knew I had a lot to learn, but I, I think now the more I do this, the more I realize that you've always got a lot to learn. You know, I'm, uh, there's coaches that have been in this game way longer than I do that evolve and change. And, and, and so um, regardless, if you become a head coach or get your opportunity, whatever it is, if you're 25, 35, 55, um, you're going to be sure about things and you're going to feel unsure about things. And so 
for me, it was just about, um, you know, ultimately kind of establishing what I felt um, was really important for our program on and off the court and, and our core values and just reinforcing those on a daily basis. And, and luckily we've, that's led to some, some success and hopefully we can, we can keep it moving and, you know, make that NCAA tournament. What was the biggest uh, or most difficult adjustment going from assistant coach to head coach? Because, you know, I've talked to a lot of coaches before and, um, you know, they said being that final decision maker for whatever it may be was the hardest part uh, as opposed to sharing uh, ideas or thoughts to the head coach. What was your biggest adjustment? Yeah, no, I mean, a hundred percent, you know, it's funny. Um, you can, as an assistant coach, man, you can, you can push a player for two or three months and the head coach is kind of like, ah, I don't know. I don't know. And then all of a sudden you get to that spot where you've really got to finally pull the trigger on something or somebody, whatever it is. And, and, you know, you're, 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 questioning everything, you know? And, and I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, ultimately, um, I love basketball and I'm young and I've got, you know, a long way to go to hopefully be, you know, a great coach. Um, you know, like somebody like the guy you played for or somebody like that. But, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I feel like I know the game and I, and I feel like I know what it takes to win. I think I know what certain things are important when you talk about key, team chemistry and different things like that. And I think even, you know, my college coach used to say when things go wrong, double down on what you do and what you know. And, and I think that's something that, you know, as a coach, you're, you're going to go through it. You know, I don't, I don't care if you're coaching at Nichols, Duke, Gonzaga, Kentucky, you're, you're going to have days where, where you go through it and your team doesn't look as good or player doesn't do something. Maybe, you know, there's, there's, there's obstacles in coaching. And so I think that's just the biggest thing is being secure in who you are as a coach and, and really deciding early on, what do you value? You know, what, what are your core values? And, um, and again, just reinforcing those every day. Doesn't mean you don't change. Doesn't mean you don't change style of play, maybe, and things like that. Um, but ultimately, you know, what are the things that you value most um, in regards to winning and, and building a program? And I think you've got to be steadfast uh, and holding those standards, uh, you know, holding your team to a certain standard every day in that regard. Talked about uh, playing in college and you kind of knew early on you wanted to become a coach. Uh, looked like you had a really good career at Emory Division Three in the Atlanta area. Um but who would have been your true coaching mentors? You mentioned Coach Riley. You've mentioned uh, Coach Brownell as well. But usually there's one or two coaches uh, that kind of says, you do have a future in this. And kind of they push you along the way. Who would those be for you? You know, it's funny. I I, I've, I think about that a lot, actually. You know, my, my first coach, you know, even growing up, AAU and all that was was my dad. You know, and, and you know, he never coached uh, high school or college or professional or anything like that. Um, but it's funny, I do find a lot of, um, myself and him in regards to just relationship building and, and different things like that in terms of how you treat people and how you push people. Um, you know, I was really fortunate to work out, um, growing up as a player with, uh, coach John Lucas, you know, who's an assistant for the Rockets now. And, uh, coach Luke is just such a mentor to me in so many different ways and how I view the game and, um, and, and how I, um, you know, just approach things on a daily basis. And, and, um, and then I think lastly, my, my college coach is such a huge influence for me, Jason Zimmerman, you know, when he took over at Emory, um, you know, he played at Davidson was an assistant at Davidson and it's kind of from that tree. Um, and when he took over at Emory, um, you know, they hadn't had a winning season at Emory in probably, I don't know, <laughs> 30 years or, you know, whatever it was. And, um, he really built that program. We were his first recruiting class and, and now he's gone to, I'm not even sure what it is now, six or seven sweet 16s, couple of elite eights. You know, he's, he's one of the best division three coaches in the country. Um, 
and I just think, you know, I talk to him once or twice a week and, and just uh, in regards to building a program and kind of coaching with a chip on your shoulder a little bit. And I think always finding ways to get better. Um, and just, you know, when you talk about trust, uh, he's somebody that I really trust and value. And I think when you have a coach, you know, you know, this as a former player, Dan, when you have a coach that you really know cares about you and, and believes in you, um, your team's just going to be that much better. And I think I've tried to instill the same things here. Um, not just in Nichols, but when I was at Clemson, George Mason, wherever I've been, I've tried to be that type of coach. And I think that's carried over since, uh, since I've become a head coach. Entering your fourth year as the head coach at Nichols State, and you guys have gradually improved each year. We went from ninth place, second. You guys were first a season ago, and, and you're knocking on the door of an NCAA tournament. Uh, where's the next step for your program to achieve those goals? Yeah, I think it's just embracing, you know, certain details, you know, every, every single day. I mean, you mentioned it. We were, we were one game away last year. We won the regular season. We lost in the championship. Uh, you know, quite frankly, to, to a team that was better, they, they were better than us. Uh, I think, I think on a consistent basis. And I think as a program, you've got to be able to look in the mirror and see what do we have to improve on to ultimately, you know, leave no doubt. You, you want to get to that championship game and, and, you know, prove you're the best team. And there's just certain details. And I, and I think from, from a championship standpoint um, that, that we've got to clean up and, and really uh, focus on, on a day-to-day basis. I think like you talked about going from ninth to second, that takes, much more of a broader, you know, scale of overall culture and identity and style of play and all that. Um, you know, we've got to continue, obviously, to build on that. We've got a brand new team. So we've got guys that we've got to kind of have, um, you know, raise their level and understand how we do things here. But I think also when you just talk about details of habits, details of boxing out, details of taking charges, details of first, of the, you know, things like that, you know, just a championship mentality. Um, and, and I think we've got to continue to just, uh, harp on those things as much as you do making threes, you know, as much as you do stealing, you know, whatever it is, you know, you've got to be able to focus on those and take as much pride in those things as you do. Maybe some of the, the other things that, that make sports center. Right. So uh, I, I think we're, uh, we're, we're close, but we haven't gotten where we need to go. And this is a brand new team uh, and they've got a chance, but it's like the same thing I told last year's bunch, you know, coming off the 21 win season, you guys haven't done anything. You got to go out and you got to prove it. And they did that. And now this team has got a chance to do the same thing. We haven't done anything. We haven't won any games, um, but they get a chance to go out there and prove um, and kind of keep what we've got uh, going and, and write their own name and build their own legacy. I'm always interested to hear the answer for this next question when I talk to head coaches at the college level, because your dad coached in an AAU program, as you mentioned, in, in the Houston area. Um, but then as you are recruiting and evaluating players, where do you go for the brunt of your information on guys and then to be able to make a decision to offer a scholarship to a player? Um, is it the AAU side? Is it the high school side? Is it a mixture of both? What, what do you like to, what process do you use in evaluating and recruiting? Yeah, that's a great question, man. I, and I think, you know, especially um, for me over the last few years, we've, we, we turn over every stone from high school to junior college. We've hit the transfer portal pretty hard, kind of like I touched on. Um, and man, there's just so much talent, man. There's just so many good players all over the country. I mean, we, 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 I can't even, I have no idea how many players or how many States that we've had players from over the last five or six years, but it's, it's a lot. And, and I just think, um, you know, I think for me, when you, when you talk about what do I really focus on, I, I think, and I never really thought about it until probably right now that you asked that question, but <laughs> I think you want to get guys 
um, who are surrounded by people that are kind of preaching the same things you are in terms of, you know, character and, and just, um, you know, different things in terms of who's in their ear on a daily basis, kind of preaching the same things that you're preaching in terms of who they are, uh, as people, you know, and, and how hard you can coach them and just their values as human beings, even before basketball players, of course, there's an element of talent that, that comes with, with being a great team. We've had some great players. We've had four or five all league players the last couple of years. Um, and, and I'm proud to say those guys are, are great people as well as great players. And so, um, I just think nowadays you, you've got to be really careful and, and just, um, you know, kind of like you said, there's, there's a lot of people with different agendas and things like that. And I think when you, when you're building a program, you want to make sure that everyone is, you know, paddling in the same direction and, and, and values, um, you know, values things besides just scoring baskets. Right. And you want guys that are great teammates, um, and come from, uh, you know, come from strong backgrounds. I like that answer uh, where you talked about a consistent message. I, I think that's probably uh, undervalued a lot of times because you would want a player that comes from a program that has a, a similar set of culture standards as well as playing standards uh, to make the transition as easy as possible. Uh, last question, Coach, before I let you get going, since I know we're a couple weeks into the season and, and everybody's got way too many things on their plate, I'm sure. I look at your preseason schedule, and if I were a player at your school, I would be excited. Uh, maybe if I was a coach, I would be a little hesitant. You guys play at Baylor, at TCU, at Wisconsin, at Oregon State, and at Purdue. Tell us a little bit about how you go about building your uh, schedule and the excitement you have for this year's schedule. Yeah, you know, I, I think, again, if you if you look back at kind of our roster development over the last few years, we've taken some guys that um, maybe, as some would say, are transferring uh, potentially to a lower level, right? And then from high major to mid or, or mid to low, whatever it is. Um, and I think a lot of times, you know, for me as a coach, um, a lot of our guys want to prove themselves against, you know, on the biggest stage against some of the best talent and best teams in the country. And so at the end of the day, it's, it's no secret. If we want to make the NCAA tournament, we've got to win the Southland tournament. So, so separate kind of those two seasons and, and just say, Hey, you know, we, we, we get an opportunity to go play Baylor, Purdue, you know, all those teams you just mentioned, um, our guys want to compete. Our guys want to want to test themselves against, you know, we, we've got guys just like every other school that, that have aspirations to play professional basketball. Right. And so, um, you know, what, what better way than, you know, um, you know, as a player, like you mentioned, you know, don't you want to go out there and play against some of the best in the country? Don't you want to be on national TV against, uh, you know, former national champs, Baylor, top five, Purdue, you know, we're, we're, we're scrimmaging LSU and Lafayette um, and, and get a chance to, you know, to, to really show, um, you know, your capabilities and, you know, win or lose, you know, you get a chance to lose from the, uh, you get a chance to learn from those games. And so ultimately I think regardless of what the results of those games are, it's only going to make you stronger, you know, heading into your conference play. Um, you know, you're going to go through some adversity. Um, you're you're going to play some great teams, some great coaches. Um, so yeah, we, we do that every year. I think we even spice it up a little bit more this year. Uh, and so I'm excited. I'm excited to see how our guys respond um, when we do get hit in the mouth a little bit. Um, Cause it'll happen. It'll happen. We'll hit some people in the mouth. They'll hit us in the mouth. Um, and I think it's only going to make us stronger and, and help us uh, achieve our goal, which, which is to make the NCAA tournament. Well, Coach, I appreciate the time. Best of luck this season. Hopefully you guys repeat as Southland champs, but then also win the tournament title to get to the big dance, the NCAA tournament. So I appreciate the time, and hopefully at some point 
our paths cross with my co my broadcasting and your coaching. So thanks again for joining. Absolutely, man. I'm sure it will. And uh, I really appreciate you having me on, Dan. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.